0: As I've been praying about this morning and thinking about our time together, the one thing that keeps coming back to my heart and my mind is that every single person here this morning would be reminded of the fact that every single person in this place needs to change. Like everybody in here needs to change a little bit because nobody in here is yet who God intends us to be fully. And because we are not yet who God intends us to be, We need to change a little bit. And there's no one who better knows exactly how we need to change right now in our lives than God himself. He wants to change us. And I'm just asking you this morning that you would make a decision before we ever open the Bible to look at what we're going to look at together, that you make a decision, I'm going to want what God wants. If He wants to change me, then I want what He wants. If you would make that decision this morning before we ever open God's Word and hear what He wants, you'll place yourself in a position to be incredibly encouraged by the Lord's Word. And so I, I implore you, decide to want what God wants. All right, let's look at Judges chapter 10. We're working through the book of Judges. Judges chapter 10, we'll start reading in verse 1. We'll work our way through verse 16 together. Judges chapter 10, verse 1. Now after Abimelech died, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo... How would you like that? You know, it worked in the first service too. I just paused, everybody started laughing, because it's obviously biblical humor here. Anyway... A man of Issachar arose to save Israel, and he lived in Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, then he died, and he was buried in Shemir. After him, Jer the Gileadite arose and judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons, he rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havath-Jer to this day. And Jer died and was buried in Caman. And the first five verses introduce to us a section of the book of Judges that's going to help us see the fifth major judge in Judges. Now, these first five five verses don't bear a whole lot of weight of significance in the unfolding story. It's not that they're insignificant, they're just not as significant as the things that are to come. And there's some clues here in the story that is really an indicator of what's happening throughout Bible stories. So when we encounter a story in the Bible, there are some clues and indicators on what is really significant, what should catch most of your attention. And I want to help you think about some of those things as you consider reading further into the stories of Judges and in the rest of Scripture when you encounter stories like this. So one of the things you're going to see here is this feature of the pace of the telling of the event in the story. And so we just covered in five verses, 55 years. I mean, it's just like a blip just went by like that. There's hardly any discussion about what happened over 55 years. One guy saved and judged Israel. Another guy judged Israel. They both died. We're moving on. That's the essence of it. And so we went through 55 years really fast. Whenever the pace of the story is so fast, they were flying over multiple years of time in the telling of those events. The significance or the weight of what's intended for the reader is not as heavy as when things slow way down. In the next scene, things are going to slow way down so they're creeping and we enter into a single moment of time. And it unfolds so very slowly. So you can notice when the pace of the telling of the event slows way down, that the heaviness or the significance of what's in the story increases. You should pay even closer attention to what's in this piece of the story. And then as things slow down, they're going to slow down so much that we get caught up in a single conversation between two parties. And that conversation many times in biblical stories contains very weighty significance in understanding what we need to know about God and what God says. So as we slow down the pace and we get into a conversation, take note that we are now in what's being highlighted about who God is and what God says, and we should pay careful attention. So as you read in your Bible this week, pay attention to those two features in stories, and I think you'll see how God is revealing himself a little bit more clearly as you read. All right, so let's read starting in verse 6 together. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Israel has gone way off the deep end into some serious idolatry. They are looking to everything and anything else other than the Lord God. They have departed. Now watch what happens, verse 7. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They afflicted and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years... They afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in Gilead and in the land of the Amorites. The sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was greatly distressed. Israel has turned away from the Lord, and the Lord has sold them into the hands of their enemies, and now they are coming, enemies are coming against them on every side, and they are completely and totally distressed. God has issued judgment against his people. In his anger, he burned against them, and he has set their enemies to stand against them so they are distressed. And what I want you to pay attention to is that this story is far more than a story of retribution. This is a story of God's judgment on his people. Is burning anger expressed to them, but this is far more than retribution. If you were to come up to Lindley today after the service and you were to ask her, what kind of cookies do you like? One of her answers would be chocolate chip cookies. That's what she would say. But if that's all you talked about in that moment, you would be terribly misled. Because Lindley likes chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chips. Now, I'm just going to give a little advice to people who understand cookies. Chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips are no longer chocolate chip cookies. I don't know what you call them, but it's not chocolate chip cookies anymore because the chocolate chips in the cookie make the particular necessities for chocolate chip cookies. Without the chips, you don't have a chocolate chip cookie. When you think of God's judgment towards his people, you must always think of God's judgment towards His people with a mixture of God's mercy. When God displays His judgment to His people to understand the particular nature of God's judgment towards His people, you must understand it with the included ingredient of God's mercy. If you divorce God's mercy from the display of his judgment towards his people, you do not understand God's judgment. This story is not simply a story about God's retribution, it is a story about God's mercy in his judgment. Let's notice what happens here. Verse 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. They have cried out in their distress. We are not simply seeing the judgment of God, but also the mercy of God. And we come to this confession that is the pinnacle of the book of Judges. This is what we've been waiting for the entire book, is for God's people to say to God, we have sinned. And this is the first time in the entire book and the only time that God's people will actually say, we sinned against you, confessing their sins to him. Now, because this is display of God's mercy, God is not going to respond to their confession in the way we might think he should. God's going to say something very unusual that may arrest your attention because it's not what you would think God would say. But I want you to keep in mind that God's mercy is involved in God's judgment. And He is acting towards His people in an extremely merciful way. So let's let's read about God's reply here. Verse 11, The Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon and the Philistines? Also when the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. The people of God cry out to the Lord. We have sinned against you.
1: And God says to the people, go cry out to someone else. God is not going to allow His people
0: to return to the Lord in a perfunctory way. He's not going to allow His people to return to the Lord with words only, saying to the Lord, we have sinned against you, just alleviate this stress. We'll do whatever you want until things get better. No, God's saying, look, I don't want you to return to Me until you return to Me with all your heart and all your lives. And so until you're ready to return to me, you know what I want to tell you? I'm not helping you out. I'm not going to deliver you. You're going to stay right where you are. And as far as I'm concerned, you can go call out to the other gods. This is God's mercy being extended to the people to move them beyond a moment of expressing words that don't really represent their heart. He wants to know, do you really want to return to me? Are you just playing a game? Do you just want life to be better right now, or do you care about me? Right now, I, I want to put you in a position where you've got to determine, are you going to follow me? Are you really going to follow me? And that is the most merciful response God could give
1: in that moment. Look at what happens. Verse 15. The sons of Israel
0: said to the Lord, We have sinned. Again, they confess their sin. You're right. We have sinned. We are guilty before you. We have broken our covenant with you. We have gone into idolatry. We have sinned. They don't look at God and say, wait a minute. You're not going to deliver us? Wait a minute. You made promises. No, they just say, we've sinned. We're confessing our sins. And look what they say next to God.
1: Do to us whatever seems good to you wow lord if
0: if what you think is best for us is to not be delivered from our distress if you want us to stay under the thumb of our enemies you do to us whatever you believe is good for us we just want you we've sinned against you and what we need is you And you do whatever it
1: is you determine is right. We just want to follow you. Look what they say next.
0: Only please deliver us this day. God, we have sinned against you. And whatever you determine is best, we are ready to submit to you. Even if that means you don't deliver us. But Lord, deliver us. They know the stories of His mercy. They know the depths of His promises. And they're claiming, they're going to trust that He will deliver them. In His time, in His way, they will be delivered. And they're crying out for deliverance in this moment. But keep in mind what they've said. Lord, we sinned against You. Whatever it is You determine, that's what we want. But we're asking that You would extend mercy and deliver us. Now, if they were saying in that moment, we only want to follow you and we believe you'll deliver us. So today you deliver us and he doesn't deliver them then they don't care about the Lord. But if they say we confess our sins to you, we want you to deliver us. If you choose not to, even though we're asking you to and they follow him, then you know something has happened in their lives. Look at what happens. Verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods from among them. And they served the Lord. Did God deliver them? God did not deliver them from their enemies. Did He come to the rescue? He did not come to the rescue. He is doing to them what He deemed right for them. And look at what they did. They put away their foreign gods. And they served the Lord. They have made the decision. Whatever you decide for me. I will trust in you.
1: I'm coming back to you. And they came back to the Lord God. That is repentance. Notice what happens. The last phrase in verse 16.
0: God could bear the misery of Israel no longer. That is the sentence that introduces us. To the next deliverance of God. Where God delivers his people. You know, for over 30 years, we don't read about the people of God doing evil in the sight of God in the book of Judges. These people came back to the Lord. They turned their hearts back to the Lord because God extended His mercy to them. Do you know God is no less gracious and no less merciful in your day, daily life Every single day, God is seeking to extend his mercy to you so that you might turn your heart fully towards him. When I was a teenager, my dad invited me to work with him one day. He was in between jobs, and so he's out hustling up work, doing all kinds of handyman type stuff in community. So he invited me along this particular day. We ended up at this, this person's house, and they had a variety of problems in which they needed help. So my dad chose to do the carpentry and some other things like that that needed to be done, and he assigned me to the plumbing task. It was a stopped-up toilet It was also cracked, so it needed to be unstopped and then replaced. As a teenager, you got to be thinking to yourself, what did I do wrong? I mean, after I did that job, I could have said to my dad in that moment, Dad, whatever I did in the last week, to disobey you, dishonor you, discredit our name, please tell me because I want to fix that behavior so that I never have to fix another toilet again in my lifetime. What did I do wrong? And my dad could have looked at me in that moment and said, son, that had less to do with what you've done wrong in the past and more to do with what I'm helping you to prepare for in your future. You just can't see it yet. Someday you're going to be a husband, someday you're going to be a dad, and most likely you're going to have some plumbing problems. And guess what? You're going to know then something you never would have known had you not done what you've done now. I mean, can't you think of a million stories in your life just like that? You went through something and in the moment it was terrible. It was distress. It was heartache. You wanted out of it. You thought something's got to be wrong in my life. Is God punishing me for this? What's going wrong? Why is this not changed? And God in his goodness, the good Father is simply saying to you today in your moments of distress that I don't relieve don't miss my mercy that I'm extending to you so you will become something that perhaps you might not have become any other way God is working in your life in every challenge in every distress to turn your heart to Him again and again so that every day you turn your heart to the Lord more and more, again and again, so that you walk with Him and you choose Him and you prefer Him over every other
1: option. What would happen today if, if God said to you, if you follow Me, I'm not going to relieve the distress that you think I should. If you follow me, I'm not going to bless you in the way that you wish
0: I would bless you. If you follow me, this side of heaven, things are not going
1: to be better for you like you want them to be. Would you still follow Jesus? God is working in our lives right where we are in the
0: midst of whatever distress we may be in for whatever reason to move us to trust Him and turn our hearts over to Him again and again and again to fully follow Christ. Take the man who comes into this place on a Sunday. His life is not put together. He's a mess. He's made a lot of choices that have wrecked his life. A lot of stuff's fallen apart. He comes in here and he says, you know what, I want to follow Christ because I believe he can put my life together because he created me. He fashioned me. He knows who I need to be. I want to follow him. And he makes a decision to follow Christ. And instead of his life becoming immediately better, his life becomes immediately more difficult. Wouldn't that man have a right to say to God, how is it that you have given your Son for me? And your Word says that you will also with the Son give to me what I need. How is it that I come to you and I give you my life and my life is no better after giving my life to Jesus than it was before? Why is this this way?
1: God would remind him I know who you are. I fashioned you. And I am acting
0: towards you in mercy because I want you to trust me. And if I alleviated the difficulty of your life right now, you would stop trusting me and you'd run so far away from me that you'd never turn back to me again. But I'm keeping you in a place where you can't help but turn to me. And I will not alleviate your difficulty until I know that that alleviation is my mercy. God is acting toward you and toward me in mercy so that we might turn our hearts to him every single moment, again and again, turning our hearts, repenting of our sin and trusting him fully. And who knows? Who knows at what corner of your life, corner of adversity and difficulty that you come around, that you will experience a blessing or a deliverance or a relief from God that you would never have otherwise experienced had you not come to that corner and had no guarantees the distress would be lifted, and you said to yourself, whatever you choose to do to me, that's good with me, I'm still following you. Who knows what corner you'd have never passed had you not made the decision, I will follow Follow you no matter what you don't have to speak to me you don't have to deliver me you don't have to come to my aid I will trust in you and your promises and if I live my entire life and I do not see what I know you've promised me I will still follow you you know what will happen when you come around that corner of faith and you said I'm gonna trust you no matter what and you do not find that moment of deliverance, or that preferred blessing you long for, you know what you will find? You will find Jesus Christ. And He makes all
1: the difference. He wants you to follow Him with all your heart. I heard a story
0: recently about a church where a man came to church one Sunday. It was like he was given God and the church one last chance. He made a decision to come to church. This is my last chance. I'm I'm going to see what God and the church will do. He comes to this particular church. He enters in the church. He's wearing shorts. He doesn't know what the dress code is. He doesn't even know there's a dress code that exists. He shows up in
1: shorts, and a church member comes up to him and says to him, We don't wear that here. We don't wear that here. Can you imagine what that man would be feeling in that moment? He gave God one more chance. Can you imagine? I want to tell you two things about that story. Number one,
0: we all have to come to the place where we will make a decision to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what somebody says to hurt us, no matter what somebody says that we don't understand, no matter how we might not be received in any particular situation, no matter how difficult a situation might become, we all have to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. Do you realize that for that man that came into that church, if the situation had been perfect, he would have still had to make the same decision he had to make in an imperfect situation.
1: Will he follow Jesus no matter what? And who's to say that God was not right there in that moment, ready to
0: say to that man, this is your moment to decide whether or not I'm enough. You came today to give me and the church one more chance. And somebody offended you. But in your offense,
1: will you turn to me? Or will you run away from me? Am I enough?
0: Who's to say that God was not ready to take that moment and show his mercy? And draw that man in to follow Christ. And if we are all drawn in to follow Christ no matter what, do you know what comes out of that?
1: A heart to love people. Which leads to the second thing I want to tell you about that story.
0: I don't want to be the kind of church that makes it more difficult for people to follow Jesus Christ than it already is. It's already really hard to follow Christ. And it's a shame when a church becomes a church that makes it more difficult than it should be. It makes it biblically difficult more difficult than it should be. I mean, that is not a biblical issue. Sure, God cares about what we look like. He cares about modesty. He cares about respect. But I'm going to tell you right now, we will do more to love people the way God wants us to love them if we will be more concerned about them meeting Jesus than just hearing about what Jesus wants to do with them. I think we'll be a lot better served if we say, you know, the first thing that we want to make sure we do in this place is to tell people about meeting Jesus rather than them only hearing about what we think Jesus wants them to do. No doubt Jesus wants to transform our hearts to change every one of us. But He wants to change every one of us because we've met Him and we know He is worth giving our lives to. God wants you to love people so they meet Jesus. And He, together with us, will change our lives. Of all the people on the face of the earth, there's no one that should know how to love people like the church. We are the ones who know that God has poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ for our sins. So that now through trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God extends to all of us His mercy. So that in every aspect of our life, we are recipients of the mercy of God using every single circumstance to draw us to follow Christ. We know the mercy of God triumphs over all judgment and we are able to love Because we know that around every corner of distress, we will find Jesus Christ. And that someday we'll come around the corner of eternity and we'll find Jesus Christ face to face with all his promises ready to be fulfilled perfectly forever. What he wants for us
1: is a decision. Will we follow Jesus? Never
0: forget, I was about 13 or 14 years old, and my family just completely disintegrated. Total chaos. And I will never forget spending time in my room crying out to God, saying to God as a teenager, God, why don't you put my family back together again? Will you please fix my family? And to this day, his answer to my heart has changed my
1: life. Kevin, if I don't fix your family, am I enough? Will you still follow me? You know what I found? I found Jesus.
0: You know what he changed? He changed me. And I have never, ever been disappointed. And what I am asking you, you to consider is that the mercy of God has been extended to you so that you might decide to follow Jesus. Trust him with everything you are because repentance
1: never results in disappointment.